Thank you for tuning in to the sermon webcast of Living Savior. We are one church serving in two locations, Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. For more information, go to lsavior.org. Typically, a soldier is admired for courage. Case in point, the Medal of Honor is the highest award given in the, in the, to, the, to anyone serving in the U.S. military. Since the time of the Civil War, 3,524 individuals have received the Medal of Honor. They may have served in the Army, the Navy, or the Air Force. They may have fought in 20 different conflicts thus far on six continents and also at sea. Some of them have been very young. The youngest recipient of the Medal of Honor was 13 years old, a drummer serving in the 3rd Vermont Infantry during the Civil War. Over 400 recipients of the medal have received it after their death. And yet what they all have in common is inscribed in five letters on each medal. V-A-L-O-R. The award is for valor or courage on the battlefield. In fact, that's by act of Congress. Congress has made it official that this award is only given to someone who has risked his life or her life on the battlefield above and beyond the call of duty. Medal of Honor for courage. So today we meet a soldier. And what you'd expect is not what we're admiring him for. Nothing is said about his courage in, in, in military conflict. Nothing mentioned about valor above and beyond. Instead, the soldier is admired for his great faith by Jesus himself. In front of a crowd of bystanders, most of, his, most of whom would have been very surprised with what Jesus said about him. And yet the more you learn about this soldier, the more you admire him. And the more you admire him, the more you want to include something specific in your prayers. And it would go like this, Lord, give me that soldier's faith. Give me that soldier's faith to admit that I'm unworthy of you. And yet to put complete confidence in your word. He was apparently a very important man, man of some influence in the region. Capernaum was located on a prosperous commercial highway. The Romans did what the Romans would do. They put a customs station at Capernaum, a place to gather income for their vast empire. And they stationed a garrison of soldiers there to keep the customs station secure. The centurion was in charge of that garrison. He had about a hundred soldiers obeying every order that he gave. Apparently he also had a household of servants who obeyed every order that he gave, one of whom gets special attention in today's account. One of the centurion's servants, according to one reporter, was paralyzed 
and confined to his bed and suffering greatly. St. Luke puts it more simply in our account. He says that the centurion's servant was sick and about to die. So the great physician comes to Capernaum. By this time, Jesus has healed hundreds, maybe thousands of individuals. So, will the centurion, likely the most powerful man in that region, will he exert his influence and give an order to the miracle worker. Jesus has come with the power of God. Will he use his authority to order the Lord to heal his servant? People that are in positions of power kind of get used to that. You know, they say something and somebody does what they say. Is that what the centurion is going to do so that Jesus will heal his servant who's sick and about to die? There are some people that would encourage you to do that. Very strongly and very emphatically they say that you really need to give some orders. That you go before your God and you name what you want and he is obligated to grant it to you. They'll say things like, and it becomes a very popular thing, it gathers a wide audience, they'll say, if you need a job, if you need a better house, if you need to get yourself out of some financial straits, just name it in your prayers. You got it coming and God's going to grant it to you. That's the kind of God he is. Or they'll say if you need a friend or a confidant or you need a, you need a better relationship with your, your spouse or your child or your parent, Go to the Lord in prayer and tell him to grant that and he has to give it. Even go so far as to say if someone that you love is sick and about to die perhaps, that you gather enough people and the expression they use, you assault the throne of God with your prayers until he has to give in to your demands kind of see some people doing that in today's account. So some elders from the local synagogue came to Jesus and they had a, an order on behalf of the Capernaum uh, and on behalf of the, the centurion. They say to Jesus, you got to come. You got to come to the centurion's house and you have to heal his servant because this man deserves it. He has, well, he's, even though he's a Roman, he loves our nation. Even though he's a Gentile, he's built a synagogue for, for us Jewish people. So he deserves that you come to his house and you must, Lord, heal his servant. So Jesus very patiently follows they work their way through the streets of Capernaum. And when they're not far from the house, the centurion sends friends. And them, he's persuaded to say what he really wants to say. His friends come to Jesus 
And they say, Lord, don't trouble yourself any more than you already have. I don't deserve, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. In fact, that's why I didn't even come to myself to you personally. I'm not worthy of anything that you do. I don't deserve any favors from you. The centurion makes plain that he's not going to make any demands. He has no high expectations of what the Lord has to do because he's an undeserving sinner. That is how a man of faith prays. That's how a woman of faith approaches the Lord. That's how a child of faith approaches him. Never once ought you and I come before the Lord and say, Lord, I did this and I did this and I did this for you. So what I'm asking is that you return the favor. That's not how we approach the Lord. That's, that's not how we pray. Never once do we come for, before him and remind him how much we've loved him or how much we've loved God's people as if that somehow makes us worthy of his blessings. Not, that's not how to approach God. That's not how to pray. And even when a loved one of yours is suffering, maybe even dying, it's absolutely pointless to come before God and say that somehow my loved one doesn't deserve what's happening to him or her because she's been so generous, he's been so kind, he's so, the, the, the child is so innocent that somehow we use that as our way to convince the Lord to grant our prayers. That's not the way to approach God. That's not the way to pray. When you split the Bible in half, you go right down the middle, you're at the book of Psalms, 150 of them. And the Psalms teach us how to pray. Like Psalm 51, where the psalmist does make some bold requests of the Lord, but he begins in a very different way. He says, have mercy on me, O God. But not according to the things I've done or deserved. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to your great compassion, blot out my iniquities. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely the psalmist says, I have been sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. I don't deserve to approach the Lord and ask anything from him. The many times I've transgressed, the many times I stepped over the line of his commands are, are evidence of that. 
you don't deserve to come from the Lord and expect he's going to do what you say. The guilt of your sin, which has been yours since the moment you were conceived, is proof of that. Confessing my sins is only right. Acknowledging your guilt is only fair. That, in fact, is the faith with which we begin our approach. So admiring this soldier, we pray, Lord, give me that faith which admits that I'm unworthy of you and that has complete confidence in your word. Remember how the soldier said that? So he admits his unworthiness. Lord, don't trouble yourself. I don't deserve to have you come. And he's being real about the life he's lived, which is essentially no different than the life I've lived or yours. But then he says, even though you don't come under my roof, and even though I don't come, deserve to come to you personally, right where you are, Lord, just say the word. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And then he, then he explains through his friends how that works. He says, I know what it's like to be under the authority of someone who has the power of the word. I have commanding officers above me. They say something, I carry it out. The word makes it happen. Likewise, I have soldiers under me. I say one word to this one, come, and he comes. I say another word to this one, go, and he goes. I even say to the servants in my household, do this, and they do it. So, Lord, if it's like that in my little part of the world where the word has power, how much more your word, which is everlasting and eternal and everywhere. So, Lord, just say the word, and my servant will be healed when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the friends who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. The book of Genesis, chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered upon the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. From the creation of all things to the promise of his Son, whom he sent. The word of God is unstoppable. There's no authority that, that overwhelms it. There's no truth that is more powerful. God speaks his word and it's true. Lord, give me that faith which puts complete confidence in what you say. The Gospel according to St. John, chapter 14. Jesus is praying on behalf of all of his followers. 
And he prays, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The word of God recorded in the scriptures, the word which teaches us and and rebukes us when we've been out of line and corrects us when we've wandered and shows us the righteousness of God and trains us in that gift, the word which sanctifies us, sets us apart to be God's people, it's true. It's truth. All of it. Lord, give me that faith which puts complete confidence in what you say. The book of Exodus, chapter 34, the Lord defines himself as the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, compassionate to those who suffer, gracious to the undeserving, forgiving of those who have rebelled, loving to those who cannot possibly love him in return to deserve that. That's the word of the Lord. That's who he is. Lord, give me that faith that puts complete confidence in what you say about yourself. The epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 2. The apostle Paul, at the start of chapter 2, describes the whole human race as dead in trespasses and sins. He goes on to say that all of us by nature are deserving of God's wrath and punishment. And yet he writes, here is the word, that God has made us alive with Christ and seated us with Christ in, in the heavenly things. Here's what he says. You have been saved by grace through faith and this not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast that's the word of the Lord. Lord, give me that faith which puts complete confidence in what you say. Christian faith is never arrogant. It can't be. It's never proud. It never comes before God and puffs up its chest and say, Lord, you no, it doesn't do that. Christian faith never speaks about what I deserve or what I'm worthy of or even what somebody else deserves because they're so wonderful or kind or good. Christian faith is that faith which constantly admits, I don't deserve anything from you, Lord. And yet it goes on to pray, Lord, give me, give me Abraham's faith which trusts your promises even when I have to wait and give me David's faith which fears no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me and give me the Apostle Paul's faith which, which, which reminds me, which insists in fact 
that it's not by my keeping of God's commands, but it's by grace through faith that I have God's gifts. And then, Lord, take me to the streets of Capernaum and have me listen again and give me that soldier's faith. Give me that soldier's faith to admit that I am unworthy of you and yet to put complete confidence in what you say. Amen.